I'm June Sarpong and welcome to the Women in Business podcast, a brand new series from NatWest championing female entrepreneurs and the inspiring business owners looking to make a difference for women in the workplace. Whether you're thinking about taking the plunge and starting your own company or want to know how you can grow it to the next level, we've plenty of tips for you. As over the course of the next six episodes, we'll be profiling emerging business owners on their journey of discovery and business learning. Sharing in their stories, we'll hear about the highs and lows, successes, failures, and the specific challenges that face women, with expert advice from some amazing high-profile guest mentors along the way. Plus, we'll be drawing on the expertise of NatWest's own women in business specialists, a dedicated team of over 400 across the UK, there to help you become more educated, connected and inspired on the road to business success. Smashing glass ceilings and kicking gender stereotypes to the sidelines. We'll be covering industries from tech to construction, food to retail. But in this episode, we're heading somewhere a little bit more stylish. We'll be covering subjects such as manufacturing, exporting and juggling life as a mumpreneur. Let's meet this week's featured woman in business. Hello, I'm Alice Walsh from Alice Made This and Alice Made This is a small British business doing men's and women's accessories. So products like belts, bracelets, cufflinks, necklaces and then we're just about to launch earrings, rings and bracelets for women. We set up kind of at the end of 2011 and went deeper into it in 2014. It began when Ed, my husband and I looked for cufflinks for our wedding and we couldn't find any that we liked. We're quite creative. We like clean, minimal, authentic materials. And there wasn't anything out there that fitted us or suited us. So we looked at the market a bit more and realised that there was nothing that fresh with cufflinks. So it, I'd always wanted to set up my own business and it proved as an opportunity to access quite a niche. So we launched with cufflinks. They were very material-led. My background is product design, so we used industrial processes to highlight British manufacturing and tell stories of industry. So we're now here at our London casting house, Just Castings in Hatton Garden, and they are a casting house which do all sorts of products from restoration pieces to the royal family to jewellery to things like the FA Cup. And they are probably our most traditional jewellery-led process. They use hot and cold cured rubber moulds, and we make the rubber mould around a masterpiece, which then allows it to be replicated in the form of wax. So we are now here in the casting area of the workshop, which is essentially where all the magic happens. This is the kind of integral part of the process where you turn the wax into metal. So George is in charge of the workshop. And how long have you been here, George? Well, I've been here since 1983 as a full-time person. So. A few years, a few years. <laughs> I'm quite keen that people understand manufacturing as a skilled process. It's not something that is just done quickly and easily. There's honed craft and there's a lot of time and energy and handwork that still goes into things that are manufactured. So we look at industrial processes and use quite industrial materials, things like stainless steel or brass or copper, precious metal finishes, gold, silver rhodium, rose gold. Once the plaster is cured and ready to be cast, the materials are weighed out. 
and then put in a furnace to turn into molten metal. I think everyone says to me, when did you start, what did you do? And for us, actually, it was incredibly organic. I launched our initial collection, which was very small. It was four different designs in three different finishes and kind of hadn't even thought what was going to be the next stage. And I'd sent six pairs to six key individuals, uh, one of which got back to us with, on day two and bought the collection, which was, it happened to be Jeremy Langmead from Mr Porter. And Mr Porter was in quite an early stage of starting and wanted to find quite unique brands. And so it was just right timing, right place with the right product. And that gave us the freedom to pump some cash back into making another collection. And it grew really organically. I was working full time. It was just me and, bless my husband, helping me pack boxes in our one-bedroom flat in Camberwell. Fast forward from 2011 to 2014, now 2017, we have over 50 retailers globally with about 40% of our business in the UK and 60% elsewhere. We have a full collection of men's accessories and we have a full collection of women's necklaces. We're looking to launch a comprehensive women's collection, including rings, earrings and bracelets in the March shows this year and they'll be available to our customers come May. So it's really exciting and we look forward to continuing growth and becoming recognised as a global accessories brand, hopefully. So Alice, welcome to the studio. How exciting to be talking to you today. Hi. So we've just heard a bit about your story and your products, which are absolutely stunning, by the way. And can I say, I love the name. Thanks very much. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of does what it says on the tin, right? Yeah, kind of. People either love it or hate it. So how did that come about? Well, it started life as a menswear brand. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it was a girl's name seemed, I think I always thought of a lot of men being female fashion designers so why not flip it on its head so before we get into depth I wondered if you could take me back to your sort of eureka moment when you decided that you actually wanted to start your own business what's the story behind that it was quite organic actually I've always wanted to run my own business from when I was a child really and then the more I went into design and my background's actually product and furniture design right The more I came across opportunities that seemed interesting. I wrote my first business plan at 26, which taught me how to write business plan, didn't have a clue, and realised quite quickly that I was fine at sketching and production but didn't understand the business of design. So I then gave myself a bit of a project for a few years to learn a bit more about logistics and business acumen. How important was that for you? Because, you know, a lot of creatives just go straight into it and don't think about the business side of it. How important was it for you to actually prepare beforehand? I'm glad I did it then because I I would have probably sunk a lot more when I started. Mm. But I did it on a very naive level still. So there's a certain amount that you can't learn unless you're actually doing it. And the first few years of running my own business was definitely a steep learning curve in the business side. I'm sure. So, of course, up until this point, as you just said, the products have really been mainly focused for men. But now you're moving much more into the sort of women's market. Why did you decide to make that leap? All of our products use industrial processes and they're all quite hard metals rather than kind of leathers and fabrics. So we had a choice of we want to grow and we want to grow in terms of products and we want to grow in terms of customer And it was either accessing a broader base in terms of product accessory typologies in men's or it was opening up to 
gender neutral, so to women and men. Mm. And for us and our products and our processes and our brand values, it made sense to do men's and women's in what we're good at rather than trying to kind of dilute the men's properties. How's it different doing women's as opposed to Well, this is, where, this, is where I, this is where I want a mentor to ask a few questions to. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because I have one for Fabulous. you. <laughs> Speaking of mentors, joining us in the studio right now is the wonderful Caroline Rush, the chief executive of the British Fashion Council. Caroline knows I'm a big fan of hers. <laughs> and Caroline, it's wonderful to have you here because you have a lot of responsibility. You nurture and mentor many of Britain's young designers and help take them on that journey to both national and international Mm -hmm. success. Now, obviously, you work with a lot of very big brands Mm. as well. But how important is it for the British fashion industry that there are smaller companies like Alice's? Well, the British fashion industry is quite unique in the fact that, of course, we have brilliant businesses like Burberry and Mulberry and the Anya Heimaches of this world. But it's very much built on entrepreneurs and smaller businesses that are not only delivering to a domestic audience, but are also exporting to many territories and I think that's incredibly exciting because it means that you have a real variety of businesses you have a real variety of products and it also means that the individuals behind those businesses are quite often really pushed to focus on what their USP is Mm. and that makes the products much more focused and a much more competitive in an international marketplace. Mm. And so what's the first thing you notice about a company? Well, normally companies come to us when they're really thinking about putting themselves on the international fashion stage. The British Fashion Council is very much known for organising events like London Fashion Week and London Fashion Week Men's. And it's those events that we use to communicate and to build relationships with the media and the retailers internationally. So when those businesses come to us, it's really looking at the scalability of their business, their positioning, who their peer group is, to really help them understand is that who are the people that they should be communicating with. This is changing a little bit as businesses, of course, are using digital, being able to use e-commerce to be able to go direct to consumer. But the wholesale model is still a really important one for Mm -hmm. our industry because those brilliant independent boutiques of which we have fantastic ones throughout the UK and the department stores are used as great sort of strategy positioning pieces and a brilliant way to introduce you to new markets particularly internationally where you're probably not known and you need to have someone to tell that narrative that maybe you don't have the resource to be on the ground to do yourself. Yeah. Is that the sort of thing that you're looking to? Definitely. We have like 50-50 wholesale online. So revenue-wise, it's very important to us, and 60% of that is export. Mm -hmm. But we find a lot of referral traffic comes from our key wholesalers. And so we build the brand around who we sell to, effectively. So it's almost as much a PR opportunity as it is a kind of sales opportunity. Fantastic. Can I talk more about the actual sort of process, the manufacturing process? So how did you build your production line? Because that's one of the, the hardest bits. Yes, and it is and a logistical with nightmare. the technology you're using as well. Well, we have nine different factories we use. So. <laughs> but that's my background. So my background's design and development in products. So for me, standing next to a guy on a machine in a factory is like my favourite part of the whole thing. Wow. Whereas doing a year-end report is not my favourite part. No. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's for me, is the kind of easy bit. And I've really enjoyed 
working with all the different factory processes to get that going. But it does take a lot of time and energy and you have to build relationships. How long did it take to get it flowing? And To do the first collection, it took about a year just to get it kind of sketched and sampled and correct and find the factory I wanted to work with and tell that story. And then it's kind of grown organically. We try and follow the fashion calendar. So mm. do, in menswear, luckily, two seasons a year. Mm-hmm. So we try and look at one process a year and then two stories a year and so that's how we work it's organic because business changes so you have to adapt to it but in principle we look to look at different processes and build our factories fantastic so caroline how important is the story of the brand is it as important as the product itself the two go hand in hand i think no one believes a brand story unless the product's great Mm -hmm. and actually you need a really strong product in which to be able to build a brand around so they they do go hand in hand but sort of being able to tell that narrative and what the brand stands for is a really essential way to identify who your customer is and to be able to communicate to that customer and also to build loyalty with that customer so the idea that you're telling these stories through your website and that you're able to sort of create understanding around the business where it's come from you know what you stand for is really important also being able to use social media to be able to tell that story is a brilliant way to get not only people coming to your website but for you to be able to reach out to so many more as well yeah well it makes it easier for a smaller brand yeah how important (laughs) so how important has social media been for your business Um, ridiculously important we're very fortunate brands like myself and my contemporaries that we've got a platform where we can manage our own Brand language and story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So for wholesale, for us, the hardest thing is is to teach or to educate the staff so that they become passionate about our brand as well and sell mm. it on from there. Whereas online, we can do it ourselves to a certain level. You can. So mm. you know, looking at other jewelry brands that have been able to sort of scale and mm-hmm. go global, are there sort of any that you would say that Alice should look at as potentially in terms of the business trajectory to follow? Well, I think it depends on what kind of business you want to be. And we have this with whether it's jewellery or ready-to-wear businesses, you know, any accessories, to think about the kind of business and the kind of organisation you want to run. Because that very much dictates the kind of path that you're going to follow, the culture that you create within the business, whether this is a business that you want to be engaged in for the long term or it's something that you're looking to package, develop, be able to get investment and sell at some point in the future. And that's quite difficult when you first start out to really think about where you're going but it can really help you make the right decisions along the way so for you really thinking about the kind of looking at your peer group and looking at those that maybe inspired you to go into the business in the first place is probably a good place to start yeah well for listeners thinking about manufacturing products like alice's one really key thing to consider is how exporting could help boost your business we'll hear about how alice has done this later in the show But now let's hear some tips from Jonathan Coates, one of NatWest's dedicated women in business specialists, on how NatWest can help you along in that process. Exporting is a key part of any serious business And it's a good time to export with the pound being low in value. That makes your product more attractive to European, US markets and indeed around the world. We provide a variety of different instruments to be able to support exporters. But one of the most important things is the advice that we give, which is all free. And we help to steer customers in a particular direction. One of the most important things is that you want to get paid. 
and then we can suggest ideas to make sure that if you are exporting, if you don't know the people that you're exporting to, then maybe you need to take a deposit or the balance yeah, um, on delivery pro yeah. forma. And as you develop relationships and feel comfortable about getting credit, but that's affecting your cash flow, then we can help to put in place... A buffer. Uh, yeah, a buffer. And, then, um, and also, do you help with the sort of currency exchange? Because I can imagine that's a big thing when you're getting payment in different currencies as well. Absolutely. Ideal world would be that you settle in the same currency that you're exporting in. So some smaller businesses will try to only sell in sterling and hope that the retailer that they're selling to will pay them in sterling. Equally, where goods are manufactured overseas and then re-exported, there's situations where you may buy in euros and pay in euros. But more often than not, there is an exchange risk. And this is where the bank can help through providing certainty of your currency. When you take your orders, you agree a particular rate of exchange, and then we can help you protect that. Um, until those goods are delivered and you get paid. So you know that you're going to get the amount of money that you're expecting to get. Jonathan Coates there, one of NatWest's brilliant specialists from the Women in Business team across the country. We'll be hearing more from him a little bit later on when he will be joining us in the studio. Remember, if you want more information on the Women in Business initiative, just search NatWest Women in Business. I'm June Sarpong and I'm in the studio with Alice Walsh from Alice Made This and Caroline Rush, Chief Executive of the British Fashion Council. So Alice, we were talking earlier about your whole business story and how you went from yourself to this company that you have now. What hurdles have you faced along the path? All sorts. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest one for me is probably the business side. And I imagine you, Caroline probably comes across quite a lot of creatives that have the same issues. Indeed. <laughs> um, because I'm perfectly comfortable with drawing pictures, but as soon as you put an Excel spreadsheet in front of me, I will just have a glaze. glaze yeah. yeah. And like before I ran Alice Made This, I had barely used Excel. I think I remember asking an accounting friend of mine to set up a spreadsheet, which was literally plus and minus equals something. Mm. Now I actually think I'm okay. <laughs> but so that has been definitely a hurdle I've had to overcome just by doing it. Just doing it. And asking, I think not being afraid of asking people, however stupid it may sound, mm -hmm. because vice versa, if someone comes to me and asks me about production or design, then I feel comfortable that... And actually, I've got a few friends that have become very close friends who run similar-sized businesses where their background might be management consulting rather than production, and we definitely skill-swap a lot in that respect, which has been really useful. And so do you do all the sort of forecasting for your business? I did you until did. 2014. <laughs> I do now. I still do all the brand strategy stuff, which encompasses a lot of the budgets, but my husband, mm -hmm. um, who has a more of a financial background, came on board in 2014, all at eggs in one basket, and he does the business side now. Brilliant. Um, it took about a year of handing over control, me being a control freak. <laughs> <laughs> he, has, he has taken it with both hands, and um, it took having a child, actually, it took having to, a child. to give it over. <laughs> You're like, okay, yeah. we can share this, yeah. but not this. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, Caroline, how important do you think it is for entrepreneurs to mm. be honest with themselves and say, you know, maybe the sort of financial side isn't their strong point and to bring somebody in to help with that side of things? Well, I think in any business, you're naturally drawn towards the things that you enjoy and that you're good at. And the most important thing is not to ignore, almost to 
to make yourself focus on the bits that you know that you're not good at or that you don't necessarily enjoy because they're normally the bits that need more attention and more of your time. And particularly from creatives is that many of our creatives don't come from a business background. Mm. And I think really taking the time out to understand what it means to run a business in the early years is worth it because it'll stop you making so many mistakes. It'll really help you understand sort of the cash flow fluctuations in the business. So you can manage that. You don't end up at a point where all of a sudden you've run out of cash without realising why. And you can plan for that. And that's where having, you know, brilliant partners like NatWest who can help you plan for those eventualities, which very often happen in product uh, businesses where you're working with supply and manufacturing and you have points in time where you need to raise cash before it's coming in from your um, customers. Um, Being able to plan for that is something that is absolutely essential yeah and actually we've been taught that cash is key or cash is king King. (laughs) and that just learning even Mm. just learning that is kind of game changer it is so essentially alice you're a mumpreneur so how difficult is it to get that balance um i'm not sure i have it (laughs) (laughs) no i i started alice made this just before i got pregnant with my first child are you serious yeah yeah. i was a naive mother who just assumed that maternity leave was a holiday that i have a chance to start the game for nine months (laughs) and then i had a baby and i actually feel very fortunate that it happened like that because i know no different and so my maternity leave is carrying a baby around with a laptop how many children do you have now two two and how old are they (laughs) Four and 18 months. Four and 18 months. So that can't be easy when you've got two kids under four. Yes, yeah, it's full and on. A it's full and on. a baby business too. Yeah, it's full on. But the beauty of being your own boss is they come to the trade show sometimes. I've, I had to drive a two and a half year old, 19 and a half hours to our Italian trade show <laughs> and then plonk him in Italian nursery while we did our show. Or I had a concept presentation to McLaren F1 a week after I had my second child. Kind of that stuff. But... Like you can do it on your own terms. I didn't have to ask my boss. Mm. So it's got pros and cons. It's got pros and cons. Mm. Now, Caroline, you're, you are a mumpreneur as well. <laughs> um, and you nurture other mumpreneurs. So are there any tips that you have for Alice? Oh, Presumably um, it becomes harder yeah, when definitely. they're at school, isn't yeah. it? Well, I think you have different challenges at different times. Mm. And I'm in an organisation that have lots of young women who obviously are thinking about when's the right time. There is never a good time, yeah. I think, to have a baby. <laughs> and even if you're going to be a stay-at-home mum, is that you know it's incredibly challenging. More um, challenging. Yes. More, yeah. um, and so you do have to just take it in your stride. I think what it helps having children is really to put things in perspective. Because, you know, at the end of the day is that your family do come first, even though you're obsessing about your business and what's happening and what's next, is that you're able to give some perspective to that. And I think is that that is um, incredibly valid, particularly as you're building a business. It gives you a lot of empathy, I think, with the team around you, you know, with what's happening in their personal lives. But um, yes, I have some great memories of when my daughter was, you know, at school and you'd be in meetings, you'd be at pitches, you'd come home and you'd, you know... (laughs) 
good night and you go, Mummy, good night. It's harvest festival in the morning. Oh, and you God. go, Oh my gosh, I haven't dealt with this. So, you know, and then you sort of go running out and overcompensate by having, you know, this enormous harvest festival basket. Um, because it makes you feel better that you'd forgotten until that point that you had to do it for the next morning. Um, but um, I'm sure that many individuals deal with that. And yeah. it's just one of those things I think that it's about planning as best as you can, but life is all about curveballs and how you deal with them. It I is, think. Yeah. it is. It and is. also I think being a mum makes you incredibly efficient. Yes, yeah. you, you have to be. compartmentalise and you kind of crack on. Focus. Yeah, it does. You've got no choice, mm. isn't it? So now, Callan, obviously with London Fashion Week, we now have men's, uh, which, we you, which you created as well as <laughs> oversee. What tips do you have for Alice in terms of having a, a now a business that applies products for both markets because mm. they're different beasts aren't they they are different beasts however the boundaries are definitely merging more and we're already seeing it with menswear showing in women's wear women showing yeah. during the menswear season so it's probably the perfect time to think about doing it because you're going to as you you're showing in the menswear calendar you're also going to be seeing some of the women's wear buyers yeah. and some of the women's wear press that are around at that time but as an audience and engagement and consumer perspective is that they are quite different in terms of shopping habits and we know from menswear market it's very much about the detail and I think sort of that narrative that you have behind the brand is absolutely perfect for the menswear market in women's wear we enjoy the story but we're drawn towards the beauty of the product first yeah yeah that's really interesting to hear because I you know we've toyed with the idea of different social channels for men's and women's and things like that but mm. chosen against it after doing some experiments in the, uh, just for ease of management and for talking to the same people as a group mm. but yeah i am slightly nervous of going into women's because i'm very much a kind of tomboy so <laughs> and i would be interested to hear how it does vary in terms of a wholesale perspective as well yeah, I mean, I think is that in terms of consumer channels, it's absolutely the right thing to have one. You know, it's the, the same brand and being able to tell that story that you're doing both men's and women's wear through that channel is the right thing to do. In terms of wholesale channels is that with the smaller boutiques, it tends to be the same buyer. Uh, but of course, with the department stores is that you're thinking about a different buyer who has a different budget very often that's going to sit on a different floor. And so it's just about building awareness with a slightly different audience. Yeah. The process is the same. And, you know, the pitch is the same. And the fact that you might have a foot in the door in the menswear department could actually be quite... give us a lead, Exactly. Yeah. An introduction because you're a trusted supplier mm. and they know what you like to work with and they should be able to recommend you to their colleagues. Yeah. I think one other thing we're quite conscious of trying not to do is alienate our current customer as well. Yes. Because yeah. by well, going incredibly feminine, which mm. is not our kind of language anyway, mm. you know, the guys who like the tech and the industry will be a bit like hello <laughs> what do you think in terms of that because that is that yeah. is something to be very careful of no well I think it's just making sure that the product that you have for the menswear audience remains true to yep. uh, the customer that you have and I'm sure that you're not going to be doing anything that's too dainty and yeah. anything that would alienate that customer anyway yeah. and I think is that there are so many brands that are playing in that unisex gender neutral space at the moment that it's very topical and there are plenty of menswear brands that have delicate product in any case yeah So let's talk a little bit more about exporting. We've just heard some top tips earlier from Jonathan on how NatWest can help with exporting. But you were saying that 50% of your business is 
export. It's wholesale and it's wholesale 60% of that is, is export. export. Yeah. So is this an area that you want to grow more? Yeah, we were fortunate that when we kind of got rolling properly as a brand or started to get rolling, it was post-Olympics. So it was part of the whole kind of Britain is great yes. moment, mm-hmm. which is obviously still about. But there was budget put into growing export through the UKTI, which is now called the Department of International Trade. And NatWest, I think, were involved with yeah. a number of different things. Well, you that. were involved in that, weren't you? Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, still am. Yeah. Still am. So, yeah. <laughs> so we got the opportunity to get subsidised to go to South Korea, Japan. Do we go? Sweden. Wonderful. Japan was very successful. That now equates to 25% of our revenue, mm. wholesale-wise. And South Korea, we're getting there. We've put feelers down, we've nurtured some relationships, mm-hmm. and we've got some department stores that we're in conversation with that are really lovely. And that has been absolutely invaluable, not only for the revenue stream, but for understanding the markets. So Japan, we, we came back with no orders, but we met people. And we got taught about business etiquette in Japan and we were able to go and visit all the different department stores so we could physically understand what the retail skate was like over there. And then a few seasons later, it kind of translated. And America, is that a territory you're looking at? Yeah, America, definitely. We've started retailing over there, so they're one of our kind of top five. It's just so big. Mm. And actually, the thing that would be interesting to hear from Caroline as well is we don't have the capacity to have feet on the ground over there yet. And I kind of feel it needs someone local as well as... Because we can visit once a year, but I get the impression that they want to see more. Well, it's true that the American buyers, actually a lot of them still don't travel, if you're talking about the boutiques, in the same way that maybe is that there's a big exchange of Europe of the buyers going from territory to territory because of the scale of the domestic market. Yeah. So having a local distributor or showroom, a lot of brands look to at a certain point in time. But thinking in the way that you probably have done in Japan and South Korea, thinking about who those strategic partners are that can help you develop awareness, who are really partners for you in helping to start to grow the market and awareness is the right start point. Um, And then once you've started to build that and you've got the scale of business here and the resources behind you to be able to service the market as it Mm. grows, is that then you should uh, think about having those conversations. Yeah. You got any other questions you'd like to ask, Caroline? Oh, she's here. You might as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Take full advantage. Exactly. <laughs> I guess the other question, I've, I, it, where where it becomes appropriate to start thinking about your own platform in terms of mm. physical retail. So for especially our men's side, where we like to tell stories and have a very tight brand language, having our own store would be amazing because you could do everything that related to that. But it's arrogant to think that we could do that anytime in the immediate future because it's a expensive, expensive. Mm-hmm. and the benefit of having the wholesale partners is that they are our kind of referral voices and yeah. It's often a dream for businesses when they start of having their own retail space and the name above the door. And you hear different stories of success at the time when it's worked for different businesses. And I think it's all about the financial planning and talking to people and doing the homework about the kind of returns that similar businesses get from their retail stores so that you can plan for those efficiently. Is that it is true is that when you have a retail store is that it does still seem to be able to elevate the positioning from a customer perspective. And also when you're talking to some of the big partners internationally from a wholesale perspective, it helps them understand the brand when they see the physical location 
if it's going to be London when they come to London. But it's making sure that you plan for that properly, you know, really thinking about all of the costs that go into having your own retail store. And actually, when you start to get to that break even and even better profitability yeah, yeah. point. Mm, yeah. Do you think it would be more sensible to start with a sort of space within a department store? Yeah, is that a safer bet? Yes, is that a lot of retailers will offer you the idea of a shopping shop, is that there's a whole pop-up concept that, of course, is um, very relevant at the moment. But if you're planning for the long term and that store is something you want to do, is start the planning now because then you have something that you know that you're moving towards yeah. and it allows you to weigh up the pros and cons of being able to take areas like shopping shops within department stores. Certainly for smaller businesses, is that uh, I saw some yesterday who've gone down that route and it's been incredibly successful successful for them in terms of building brand awareness, of helping them understand what a store might look like when they go into their own sort of bricks and mortar environment, as well as starting to think, you know, beyond the floor and hear what the customers are saying about their product. Well, Alice, as you're thinking of potentially opening your own store one day, I thought I'd bring someone else to the table who can definitely offer some top tips on growth. He's part of NatWest's Brilliant Women in Business team, a group of over 400 specialists working across the UK to offer specific help to female business owners. We heard a little bit from him earlier, but I'd like to give a warm welcome to Jonathan Coates, who is, in fact, both Alice and Caroline's current women in business specialist at NatWest. Great to see you, Jonathan. You too, Jim. So tell me, how would that process work if Alice did want to come and possibly get a loan to expand the business? Is this something that you can help with? Yeah, of course it is. We regularly meet with clients to understand and ask them to share with us their future ambitions. And more often than not, when they work in a wholesale retail space, that requires them to, at some point, open a store. That's happened to a number of my clients that have been purely design-led and wholesale and have decided, well, we'd like to do some retail as well. Because the benefit of moving into a retail environment is that you get the retail margin over and above what you would get if you're purely selling in wholesale. So um, we provide term finance to help clients cover the cost of setting up their first store. So that could be amazing lighting in the store, fixtures and fittings, all those sorts of things require a capital outlay. And then we can take some of that cost, put it on loan for a period of time to enable them to start to build that particular aspect of their business up because you don't know who's going to walk through the door. Yes. Um, Certainly in the first months. Yeah. You need to get the store known in an area. So more often than not, you need a bit of advertising to get people to come to the store. And this is all the stuff that you've helped with? It's all the stuff that we help with. So Caroline, obviously you work with Jonathan. So do you encourage some of the sort of smaller brands? Is there like a pipeline where the smaller brands that you work with at the British Fashion Council are able to sort of access the kind of services that Jonathan offers? Yeah, it certainly is that we encourage the younger startup designer businesses to think about developing a great relationship with their bank manager because having that transparency and helping on both sides understanding the business and the opportunities is incredibly important. But particularly having a bank that understands the fashion industry has been really beneficial for a lot of young businesses because it means that you're not having to explain the cash flow cycle of our industry 
history, which is quite particular uh, and (laughs) harsh um, and can be harsh. But actually, is that once you understand it, you understand that, of course, that there are peaks and troughs and therefore, I guess, sort of de-risks the idea of loans because you have a better understanding of the business and that this is the norm. So, Jonathan, can you tell me how you've helped Alice with her business? Um, So I met Alice, I think, the London Collections. where you just started out, I think. Yeah, really. Early. And I kind of fell in love with a pair of your cufflinks. Oh, did and you? And that's where the journey began. And then we, our paths crossed again through NatWest sponsoring one of the fashion awards that were out there at the time. I then persuaded you to move across to us because of all the things that we were doing. <laughs> Powers of persuasion. Powers of persuasion. All the things that we were doing in the fashion space, the work that we do with the British Fashion Council. Mm-hmm. Take too much persuasion, I don't Not think. None. But yeah, you just made it very easy. So yeah. you were ready for me to move. at the time. It sounded particularly unusual for banks yeah. to make things yeah. easy for you. Yeah, and mm. I think one of the hooks for us is that um, a lot of what we do in the fashion space, a lot of the other banks aren't doing. We've got a huge network, and we leverage up against those networks to provide opportunity for female entrepreneurs, all, all entrepreneurs, to be able to develop their business. But the wonderful thing is you do have a special service for female entrepreneurs. We do. Yeah, which is really important. Amazing. Yeah, so our Women in Business program gets significant profile within the bank and it's there to help develop female entrepreneur businesses. Um, so we've got strong links with organisations such as Every Woman, which are a network of networks that support women looking to go into business or women that work in mainstream business that are looking to develop certain skills. Yeah. The most valuable thing from NatWest for us is someone that understands our business and someone that can connect us with people, which NatWest have been invaluable with on a men and women level, but particularly on the women in business level because Mm -hmm. we have different worries, I think, sometimes. Yeah, of course, yeah. And I think there's nothing wrong with actually being honest about that. We shouldn't pretend it's all the same because it's not. No, so, absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. Cool. Um, a good question for both of you, actually, is as we're growing, how do we balance the kind of risk of cash flow and pushing the growth to making sure that one doesn't outweigh the other? Or we're not growing, we're not pushing the growth enough or we run out of cash. <laughs> okay. Um, I say always make sure you don't run out of cash, uh, first of all, if you can, but really sort of testing and challenging those growth expectations and keep revisiting them. So don't set a growth plan and assume that's just going to happen. Is that revisit it. So your business plan and your growth plan should be a working document. It's not just something that you plan for. You've got an Excel spreadsheet and of course it's going to happen because our business isn't like that, is that it changes constantly. So keep revisiting and reassessing so that if you're not hitting the targets you set, then you can readjust. Yeah, I'll have to agree with everything Caroline said. <laughs> smart man. <laughs> yeah, Good. smart man. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's all about sensible growth. Um, it's great if you're at a trade show and you get loads of orders in, but you've got to have the ability to be able to deliver to those orders. Yeah. Um, that's where we can help. So uh, when you're starting to get more orders in, we can provide working capital solutions to support that growth. But you need to be sensible. You're better off to grow at a manageable rate because when you do start to grow, you're going to need more people to help you. Yeah. You're going to start to experience things you perhaps not experienced before and um, what you don't want to do is to run out of cash or find that you can't deliver so it's all about sensible growth talking to your manufacturers talking to your retailers and being realistic i think 
Brilliant. Thank you. So where can people find out more, Jonathan? People can find out more at our website, natwest.com. You can also Google our women in business and that will bring up the specific content around the way that we support female entrepreneurs. You can come into any branch of NatWest and there will be people on hand to help you or you can come and see me. Yeah. So, Caroline, thank you so much for joining us. Before you go, one final question from me. So for any woman listening to this podcast who wants to set up a fashion business but isn't sure and is a bit scared about doing it, what would you have to say to her? Well, that's another big question. I would say (laughs) is write a business plan, is that the first time you write a business plan is it's tough, but just put your thoughts down on paper. You know, what's the proposition? Why is it different? What's the marketplace? How are you going to fund it and get going? And ask a lot of people, go out there and do your research. The brilliant thing about our industry, and I think particularly the brilliant thing about women in our industry, is that they are open and collaborative and, and are very happy to share. Fantastic. And anything else from you, Jonathan? Certainly for me, the experience is to see someone like Alice, that's uh, relatively small at the moment, grow her business and develop that business over a period of time. And you're walking down the high street and you see an Alice made this shop and you kind of say, well, I helped Alice get to the position that she's in. Brilliant. Makes me very proud. Uh, And NatWest does that for lots of businesses. Brilliant. Well, you should be very proud. Well, Caroline, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And Jonathan, thank you to you. Thank you, Alice, well, thank you so much. It's been wonderful hearing your story. Oh, you're welcome. It's been lovely to meet you. And I'm really looking forward to when you open your shop and I can come in one day. Yes, please. I'll (laughs) definitely invite you. Thanks again for listening to the NatWest Women in Business podcast and a huge thanks to Caroline Rush, Jonathan Coates and Alice Walsh. Remember, if you want more information on the Women in Business initiative and how NatWest's team of over 400 specialists can help you, just search NatWest Women in Business. If you want to talk to NatWest about funding, security may be required. Product fees may apply and you must be over 18. We'll be back in two weeks' time for more inspirational stories, but for now, it's goodbye from me, June Sarpong.